Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Daniel Rabb from the Daniel W. Rabb PA Law Firm in Miami, Florida. Dan has been practicing law in Florida for over 20 years. He has served as an adjunct professor for St. Thomas University School of Law, the University of Miami School of Law, and Florida International University College of Law. He is also the author of Transportation Terms and Conditions and is a contributing author for Goods in Transit. Dan, we're very pleased to have you with us today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Today's discussion is on a cargo transportation case dealing with damage sustained due to improper loading and the limitation of liability, and Brendan Noonan is going to lead off with our first question. Uh, Dan, please tell us briefly about this case. Okay. Well, the case is Salco Maritime and Logistics, SAL, versus Ocean Atlas MV. That means motor vessel AL. The case also not only involved the vessel, but also involved the uh, carrier and also the agents. As you mentioned, it involved the dropping of a heavy piece of equipment, a turbine, This case was decided in the Eastern District of Louisiana and involves the $500 per package limitation. This is something that has been litigated in courts all over the United States, and it's interesting that you can have a statute that would appear to be very straightforward, saying if there is a package or a customary freight unit, the maximum recovery is $500, but yet under the American system, which follows the British system, even in the Eastern District of Louisiana, you do have to look to case law for interpretation. And that's what happened here. There was a turbine that was dropped, and of course, all of the defendants wanted to jump on board and limit their damages to $500 for this highly expensive piece of equipment that the plaintiff was claiming almost $118,000 for. Obviously, it would be a good thing for the defendants if they could limit the damages to $500. So the issue became, was that a package or a customary freight unit? Before even getting to that issue, or as a part of that issue, in order to even invoke the $500 per package limitation, the shipper has to be given a fair opportunity to declare a higher amount. So for anyone listening who's representing an ocean carrier or a non-vessel operating common carrier, which is also considered a carrier under the Carriage of Goods by Sea Act, it's important that your clients and your insureds have an opportunity to declare a higher value. Here it was found that in the booking notes, and there was also a warning on the bill of lading, not a warning, but as the defense would probably claim an opportunity to declare a a higher value, that that was a non-issue. An important point to look at is that the plaintiff raised the point that you would have to pay a much higher rate to ship the freight if you declared a higher value. This, frankly, is why I rarely have seen in my 20-plus years of practicing law, a shipper declaring a higher value on a bill of lading. Frankly, it's 
cheaper to go out and get insurance and then you know this becomes an important insurance issue because you don't have to deal with this five hundred dollar per package limitation because the vast majority of open cargo policies and cargo policies in general will allow you to be paid the full well at least the invoice value and and occasionally i've seen policies that may even allow more than the invoice value so you know that's what was kind of interesting there was a fair opportunity to declare a higher amount the other thing that was of i think of interest here is that there was a dispute as to whether or not you know this was really a package or a customary freight unit and one reason why i chose this case was there's an issue that i thought you know needs some further clarification although the end result winds up being similar as to what's the five hundred dollar package and what's the customary freight unit and a package would be something that's typically wrapped in packages and can stand by itself here the plaintiff contended that well there really wasn't a package uh, because the unit could have been shipped on its own and it it really wasn't that completely covered by the by the uh, tarpaulin that was placed uh, that was placed over it uh, what the defendant said was even if it's not a package and the court also said that it still might be a limitation of liability if this whole turbine was considered to be a customary freight unit and therefore $500. So, I mean, this is something pretty significant, and it's really something that defendants need to be aware of and insurance companies need to be aware of it if they're insuring the cargo interest that, lo and behold, you know, a $117,000 claim can potentially become $500. In this case, the court ruled that it was going to let this issue go to trial. I think that the plaintiff and the defendants did the right thing trying to litigate this issue ahead of time because before you go to trial, it's nice to know if, if possible, if you're dealing with a $117,000 claim or a $500 claim. So to me, it was significant from that standpoint. I mean, there are some other issues in here that that I think are, are worth noting, and I alluded to them earlier, and that is that if, in fact, there was found to be a package limitation, the court felt that the various entities that were assisting the carrier, such as the agent, would be entitled to the $500 limitation, that is, the agent. So if you're targeting the steamship company, these limitations of liability through what's called a Himalaya clause. What, what it means after the mountains is it's very large and all-encompassing. We'll also be entitled to this limitation of, of liability. But the court did not rule absolutely that that would be the case here. And there was another thing worth noting in here that I, I thought was of significance, and I always see this come up. The defendant tried to dismiss the case because the plaintiff was not the real party in interest. And if you look at the facts, the party that brought the lawsuit was not actually the shipper or the owner of the cargo, but the court, as courts often do with the real party in interest, kind of just said, well, it didn't matter, and the other party could assume the rights to pursue the case. 
I always marvel at this, and sometimes clients can get excited. They say, oh, it's the case is brought in the real party in interest. But then I've seen judges, even on the day of trial, allow the plaintiff to do a substitution to sue in the name of a different party. So, you know, I thought there were a lot of significant things in this case that insurers should really know about, whichever side they're on. How does the COGSA, or U.S. Carriage of Goods by Sea Act, impact this case? Very much so. The Carriage of Goods by Sea Act really has to do with cases going between the United States and foreign countries. It's because of the Carriage of Goods by Sea Act that you would even uh, have this $500 limitation. And that's where the carriers and the agents were coming from with regard to this case. It's something that's built into virtually every bill of lading. Another thing that I think that the insurance community and the shipping community should be aware of is, even though this law is for international shipments, if you have a domestic shipment, let's say going from San Juan, Puerto Rico to Miami, Florida, you can still write it into the contract and have this limitation of liability under the Carriage of Goods by Sea Act. Dan, how did the Ocean's Himalaya Clause impact this decision? Well, it it gives them and their insurers great leverage because if there winds up being a decision on the $500 limitation for the uh, ocean carrier, the court basically ruled that it would recognize this Himalaya Clause and noted that Intermarine, who was the agent, actually signed off on the booking note. And actually, they're the ones who do the bill of ladings. So it could even go even further where this would also apply to heavy lift and Pacific Gulf. But the court, because it hadn't made a definitive decision on the $500 per package or customary unit, did not issue a final decision on that. But the court indicated that it would enforce the Himalaya Clause if that's what happened. So when you go and you target all these parties, they can still claim the benefits of the ocean carrier and claim to be under that umbrella, especially now where you have intermodal bills of lading. And sometimes I've even seen situations where motor carriers have tried to take advantage of Himalaya clauses as subcontractors. Dan, regarding cargo cases, what is it important for insurers to know about? Okay, what I think is important to know about, and I can't emphasize this enough, one of the things that I want our listeners to come away with is, and for shippers to know, and the general public, get your own insurance. Do not rely on carriers, stevedores, agents to go and pay your claim. You want to have your own insurance policy. So that's really important. I mean, often these cases are subrogation claims, so a lot of people in the public are heeding this advice. Another thing to walk away with is if an insurer is going to insure a terminal operator, an agent for a steamship company, or there are these ocean steamship companies that are very often insured by P&I clubs, that the insurer should really go and take a look at the bills of lading and make sure that 
these limitations, such as the $500 per package limitation, are included on the bill of lading so that if there is a claim, they can take advantage of the opportunity because that's what the law and the trend in the law has been at this particular time. The other thing that I, I, again, that I would bring up is that if an ocean carrier is going to invoke this, make sure, even though the law doesn't necessarily require it, make sure that on the bill of lading there's a space where the shipper can declare a higher value so they don't turn around later and say, oh, no, we, we didn't have that opportunity. And then it's up to the insurance company for the cargo interests as to, you know, how strict they want to be about it. Usually, I've seen most, the vast majority of first-party cargo insurers do not have anything related to the limitation of liability. And it's one reason why shippers go ahead and purchase this type of insurance so they don't get caught with it. Again, in terms of if you're the shipper, you're better off purchasing cargo insurance in most instances rather than declaring a higher value because it's, as was noted in this case, even though it was upheld, it's generally prohibitively uh, expensive to declare a higher value on the bill of lading. In this case, Dan, is there any chance of an appeal? Not at this level, because what's happened here is you've had a number of denials of summary judgments, and even where the court made preliminary rulings, it would be premature at this point in time to take it up on appeal. This was decided in October, maybe after there's a decision rendered, then it could be possible for there to be an appeal, but not in the near future. Dan, are there any other pending cargo transportation cases that insurers should be watching? Right now, it, it seems like a while ago there were some key cases that had been going up to the United States Supreme Court on the issue of intermodal bills of lading, so, and whether or not the limitations of liability extend to motor carriers. But in recent years, the United States Supreme Court has held under a variety of instances that it, in fact, can be extended in uh, many instances. So that would be something that I would want to take a look at. Just one other thing that I would mention to the listeners and to the practitioners, when you are confronted with issues on what is a package under the Carriage of Goods by Sea Act, there is a section in Benedict's on Admiralty at Volume 2A, Section 170, which kind of has instances where a certain item such as a pallet or a car is a package or a customary freight unit, and then it has cases that might go to the contrary. So I would suggest that if you have access to that section of Benedict's that you keep it handy. The other thing maybe to watch is there is a movement to try to change the $500 per package limitation, and in Europe they've altered it. They're still low levels limitations of liability and sometimes in bills of lading some of the ocean carriers or the shippers will try to invoke the european rules which are a little bit less stringent than here in the united states but frankly i've been hearing about that movement for i think for at least like 10 years and it's still the 500 dollars per package or customary freight unit limitation 
Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. That was Daniel Rav from the law firm Daniel W. Rav, PA, in Miami, Florida. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Nunes, and now this message. Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance Insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 